0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, the ministry of Compass Church, New York, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Gabe, get off the stage. It's two in a row, Gabe. We did that last night, too, for a different reason. but Anyway, welcome to Compass Church. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the executive pastor here. I love that that song, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It works so good with our theme for the for this series, you know, Strength Through Adversity through the book of First Peter. We're kind of ending that series today, and uh, it's, just, it's just perfect, just perfect. Uh, I'm here today in front of you uh, because Tim is uh, out doing his chaplaincy duties with the Air Force in California, and so um, I entitled this message, the last message in our Strength Through Adversity series, and I entitled it uh, Surviving the Storm. Uh, I don't know uh, how you feel about storms. I get the sense that in Arizona, people like storms. Um, I, I do. People are oh, this isn't great the purples and the yellows and the oranges and the reds, which I can't see because I'm colorblind, but I, I see colors and I see dark clouds and, and all those things. And man, it's beautiful and the lightning and the monsoons, and I can't wait for the monsoon season. And I'm like terrified of the monsoon season. And everybody's like looking forward to it, you know? And so when I got here, I learned that I had to get used to this thing. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. There weren't a lot of storms that came through. I can remember um, probably on one hand my whole life how many thunderstorms I'd been a part of. Each one of them freaked me out to the core. And <laughs> so it started when I was about seven or eight years old. Uh, You know, I was one of those kids who didn't like the lights being turned off when I went to sleep, so I left the lights on and my parents would come and they'd turn off the light for me and I was one of those kids who never closed the blinds or closed the curtains, left them open because I was too scared that'd be too dark and so I'd leave them open, you know, type of thing. So one night I left the lights on, went to sleep and parents turned them off and then in the middle of the night I got woken up by a storm. Now again, these things are rare, they don't happen very often, loud thunderous noise, lots of lightning. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where because I left the curtain open, the lightning would reflect off the window and then kind of go right across my legs. And, and you know, I could see it. And, I, and I'd sit there going, man, if I, I, uh, I you know, I, I, on the count of three, I'm going to go run to mom and dad and they'll protect me. And I'd go one, two. And as soon as I'd say three, and it's coming across my legs again. And I was like going, man, this is, this is crazy. And I'd go one, two, three again. And sure enough, it happened again. I remember that was like my first interaction with a storm. I couldn't get out of bed. I, all I wanted to do is run to mom and dad and, you know, have protection. I couldn't get out because every time they would, that, that lightning would strike. And so that kind of started my anxiety towards storms. You know, went on to be about 12 years old. I remember running outside. This is a true story. I ran outside and and, and I was like, oh, oh you know, my, my parents had split by then. My father had died. Um, single parent mother living kind of in the hood. I run outside. I go, Come on, God, give me your best. I'm not scared of no storm. I'm a survivor, you know. Which is funny, you know, little chubby kid and Hispanic kid in the hood running out in the middle of the street talking to somebody. <laughs> what were people thinking? And so, uh, and so, you know, I was like, give me your best. I'm not going to, I'm going to conquer this fear, you know, type of thing. I was trying to be a man or whatever. And uh, um, I remember my science class that like, you know, you can, the lightning strikes and then the thunder makes a sound. And then uh, if you do one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, that tells you, you know, if you get to like fifteen one thousand, that's really, really far away, right? And so... And so I'm sitting there in the middle of the street, and I see lightning come, and it looks like it's two streets away, straight ahead, right in the middle of the street, and the sound and the light were the exact same moment. Freaked me out. So I ran to my room, you know, I'm I'm under the blankets, you know, I'm in the fetal position. All right, God, you win, you know, type of thing. (laughs) And then I uh, went on to, when I was about uh, 13, 14 years old, went to a trip to Washington, D.C., like many schools do, and... We're in Washington, of course, there's a different climate, and so we're in this coach bus with like 50, you know, junior hires or whatever, and we're driving through and going through like this really foresty type area. It's nighttime, and guess what? A storm rolls through, and so you're seeing lightning all over. All the kids are like, ooh, look, that's so cool, and I'm in the back like shivering and convulsing, and they're like, what's wrong with you? I think I'm feverish. I got, this, I got the shivers, you know. Um, and, uh, that was my, and then I got to Arizona. I got, went through my first haboob this year and I thought, this is not a big deal. And then it was like, oh my gosh, this is a big deal. Like you can't see your hand, you know, if you were outside. So you pull on over and you go, Lord, you win again, you know, type of thing. Uh, my, you know, my anxiety, I've gotten used to more storms. You know, you might see me ask, I told, even this morning, it was kind of getting stormy out there. I'm like, I'll see the signs. I'm like, is there anybody else watching this? This is, this is when we die. We're going to die right now. This is what happens. This is what it feels like before you die. And so that's been my kind of my kind of uh, <laughs> my my uh, anxiety towards storms, you know. And we've all been through storms. We've seen weather systems go in, go out, um, they pass by, and just like a weather system can pass by without any uh, notice, type of type of speak, and, and uh, so to speak, and and leave a significant change or impact on life. So can storms of life. And that's really what more we're talking about today. You know, um, just like a storm comes in and out and, and causes a lot of wreckage, um, sometimes there's storms in life that can cause a lot of wreckage and, and, and make you feel like you're left in shambles, like everything's in disarray. You know what I'm talking about when the doctor uh, delivers a notice to you that you didn't want to hear. It wasn't uh, according to your plan what you heard from him or her. Or maybe there is an ailment that your child has that you wish you could take away and you can't take it away. Maybe your spouse refuses to reconcile and instead chooses an affair instead of you. Those type of things, the storms that come on life and, and that leave their wreckage, and then you're left hanging in the balance. How am I going to move forward? And that's kind of where we're going today. It's more in line with what we're talking about today. How do I make it through this storm? And what should I look out for in the process? How do you find your way in the midst of the storm, and, and what pitfalls are there to be avoided along the way? Which way is up, and how do you get there? That's kind of where we're going today. It's our last week in the series, Strength Through Adversity, the book of 1 Peter, and I really could almost um, paraphrase the entire book of 1 Peter is this, and I hope I'm not too direct, but what happens when the crap hits the fan in your life? That's really what the book's about. What happens when the crap hits the fan in your life? When things don't work out the way you'd planned them, when they work out in adverse ways, what do you do when the crap hits the fan in your life? We're going to see what Peter suggests to do. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 5. Last several verses of 1 Peter um, First Peter chapter 5 is where we'll, be, where we'll be at. We'd love for you to bring your Bible, even if it's on your phone, open it up on your phone. I know we have it on the screen, so we want to get you in the habit of being in the Word of God. It's good not only on Sundays, but on Monday through Saturday. It works as well. And so, get in that habit. 1 uh, Peter chapter 5, surviving the storm. Now, I want to tell you, remember the context of what's going on in 1 Peter as we read this. The possibility of death for this church that Peter's writing to is on their minds constantly. We may die for what we believe. Not because we did something immoral. Not because we did something wrong. Just by merely by what we believe, we could die for this belief. And this is who he's talking to. You talk about storms. This is who he's talking to. How do I make it through the storm? Number one, by humbling myself. By humbling myself for what we're going to see. Wave your rights for revenge. Let's look at this. Verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore... Under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Not your time, but in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So how do I get through the storm number one? By humbling myself, waving my rights towards revenge. Letting God be in control of all those things. What's the action here? The action is to humble. It is an imperative. It is a command. He's saying, in the midst of this, you don't know if tomorrow is going to be there for you. You don't know if you're going to die for this thing you believe in now. You came to faith in Jesus Christ, and now there are people who might kill you. you. You have friends who have died. You have friends who have been persecuted for their belief. In the midst of that whole thing, I'm telling you to be humble. God says to you, be humble. Humble yourself. Wave your rights for revenge in those situations. where It's just fruitless anyway. It's not going to happen. Humble yourself is the action. And the result is what? God will lift you up in due time. The action is to humble yourself. The result is God will lift you up in due time. So what stops us from doing that? Isn't it interesting that he adds that little clause afterwards? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Really, the idea there, it's a participle. After casting all of your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. After casting. Have you ever considered that the reason it may be so difficult for you to get rid of worry and anxiety in your life is because at the core of your nature, you may be a proud person. Have you ever linked the two together? That seems to be what Peter's doing here. But the reason I can't get over my worry and my anxiety is because I'm a proud person. And, you know, as I thought about it, this is true of me in my life. You know, whenever I've been out of shape or or whenever things, uh, or I'm getting caught up in in, in worry and anxiety over life or things like, what what really is the root there? I really want to be in control of the outcomes. I really want to be in control of the outcomes. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control I want that person to pay for what they did to me. And what Peter is saying is remember, the context of Peter is unfair treatment. And what he's saying is who says you get to be in charge? Who says you get to be in charge? He says, instead, cast your anxiety on him. The idea of casting would be equivalent to a guy going on a long journey and having all this luggage to take with him and and taking the luggage and throwing it on the camel. And that way he would walk and the the camel would bear the weight of luggage on the journey. And the idea is, who's wearing the weight? Who's bearing the weight? Are you bearing it? are you letting God bear it? Because when you humble yourself, you let God bear that weight. You let him do that. You let him carry the load. Are you carrying the load or is he carrying the load? And if you're carrying the load, could it be because of your proud nature to which you need to humble yourself and allow God to carry it? You know, in my connection group this week, we were talking, the guys, you know, we split the the men and the women at the end and we pray for each other. And the guys were just talking about how there's times in life where God is so clearly in control, and you're so clearly out of control. There's times where you wish, as a man, you want to protect your family, you want to protect your kids, you want to provide, you want to take away all the concern. That's the way God built us, and that's a beautiful thing. And, and there's some times that you don't get to do that. And one guy spoke up and said, I remember when my daughter had to have open-heart surgery, and here I am, a medical doctor, and I could do nothing for her. And I just had to go, God, this is so squarely in your hands. And I remember times in my life with my mother and, and it's different situations like where I'm so clearly out of control here. I don't get to be in control. And we had a gentleman last week who his daughter was going in for a little heart murmur procedure, and we prayed for him. And with praising God. She went, she went on Friday, got through it, everything's fine with her, and she just went so smooth. But that feeling of, man, I wish I could take this away. I wish I could just solve this for her, and I can't. There's nothing I can do. And as we were reminiscing on these feelings, we said, you know, there comes a point later in life where you go back and you, you kind of look fondly on those times. There's something, you go back and like, man, that was, there was all that, all that, he was so in control of that. And all you remember is that he was close and nearby. And you remember those things in a special way. Times where you've been humbled and you had to leave it in his hands. So first, you got to humble yourself. Second, you got to guard yourself. How do I make it through the storm? Number two, got to guard yourself. By guarding myself, raising the terror alert level, DEFCON 2, 3, 4, whatever it is, guard yourself. Let's look at verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy... The devil prowls prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What's the action here? To be self-controlled, to be watchful, to be alert, to be on guard. Wake up is the idea. What's the ground for this action? The devil is on the hunt. The devil is on the hunt. An unbelievable imagery here of a lion. I don't know if you've ever been to the zoo. I took my family to the zoo this last week at Phoenix Zoo. It was cool. Um, I remember, though, I was expecting to see what I had seen when I was a kid in the San Francisco Zoo. They had this huge exhibit for lions, and, and it's like a floor-to-ceiling window type of thing, very thick window, and then there was like a cage, so, and, and, and they would have feeding times. And so you would, you would sit there, and, you know, if it's uh, if 11.30s are feeding time, you'd be there at 11.15 because you, you don't want to lose your spot. You want to see the lions eat. Big old huge lions, you know. And so, and, and it's like the lions, they didn't blow a whistle. The lions just knew it was feeding time and they would head towards that area. So if you want to see a lion up and close, you, you go up to that window, you just sit there and you walk. But 11.15, 11.20, they start walking over. And they're sitting there, and the closer it gets to feeding time, the more you would see them kind of, kind of prance back and forth. they just go like this, back and forth, back and forth, no more than 10 feet. And the closer it got to feeding time, the louder they would get, the more angry and agitated they would get. And you're sitting there going, this is so cool. And then finally, the, the like, zookeeper would throw in like, a big, old, huge piece of meat it's got to be like some cow, something like, like as big as my thigh. You just throw it in there, and these lions were just devoured in seconds and roar and blood all over their face. It was awesome. <laughs> you know. It was like National Geographic TV except for live, you know what I mean? Like reality, you know. And, um, and it was interesting to me how they, that internal clockwork, they knew what time. They'd get more agitated as the food come, and that's the picture of Satan. He's the predator, and you are the prey. You are his meal of choice. And what Peter, you can't miss it. What Peter saying, you got to humble yourself in this situation. But also know this, the crap hits a fan in your life, you are prime pickings. You're in the perfect spot. Satan smells blood in the water, and he's like a great white shark. He's ready to eat you. And really, the idea of devouring is to swallow. He wants to swallow you. And so he's saying, be self-controlled. Be alert. Have your guard up. Satan is licking his chops. And you're the appetizer. Don't get swallowed. He's warning when you're low, things aren't going your way, life has dealt you a bad hand. That's when you should be on the lookout. That's when you should be extra aware. So you're going through that difficult breakup or that divorce, get your guard up because it's coming. You lost your job, or maybe you've been promised a, 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 or lied to about a possible promotion. Get your guard up. It's coming. You're in a car wreck, and the opposing driver is claiming that it was your fault, even falsifying injuries. Certainly things can't get worse than that. Get your guard up. There's blood in the water. And Satan's just prowling around looking for someone to devour. Get your guard up. Quit thinking that this life on earth is meant to be easy. In our Western mind, our, you know, United States, man, life's supposed to be easy. No, not necessarily. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is an adversary out there. He's looking to swallow you up. Wake up. Easy times are coming, but they won't get here until eternity. And right now, it's time to fight. It's time to fight. Which brings us to our third point. How do I make it through the storm? By defending myself. By defending myself. Fight the enemy. Defend myself. Let's look at this. Resist him, this is verse 9, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same type of sufferings. You're not alone. And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, Firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. What is the action here? It's the, the idea to resist, to oppose, to withstand. To fight. Fight. Don't just sit there and, 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 and be the raw meat for this lion to devour. Fight. Resist him. And what's the grounds for this action? Why would you do this? Well, you got to understand you're not alone. There's, there's believers all over the place suffering. One of the things I do in counseling the most is when people come and go, you don't understand my life. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand, you know, this is why I do these things. This is why I act this way. There's a reason for it all. And, and, and sometimes, very gently as a pastor, I say, can I just tell you a story? I won't tell you a name. Let me tell you this story over here. And, and you tell me if that's worse than what you're going through. A lot of times people go, yeah, that's kind of worse. And that person is still finding a way to love the Lord and live through it and get through it without going to immorality, without going through things that are sinful. You can do it. You're not alone. You're not the only one in the world going through this. Many people are going through things worse, harder. You can make it through. God says that he gives you the power to make it through. Don't buy into this lie that the enemy is putting in your mind that you're the only one who has to go through this. Certainly God wouldn't require me to make it through. No, you're not alone. In fact, this idea that brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings, the literal idea there would be this. Brothers throughout the world are accomplishing the same type of suffering. That's the literal idea, that it's an accomplishment to them for persevering, for making it through these adverse circumstances. So what's the ground, number one? Because other people are are going through it too. You're not alone. Number two, the ground is because God will restore you. Did you see that? After you've suffered for a little while, he himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Literally the idea is he will himself rehabilitate you, make you resolute, strengthen you, and firmly ground you. He can do that. As you make it through, resist him, withstand him, fight. Think of the passage in James chapter four, verse seven, you resist the enemy and he will flee. You fight. I'm gonna share an illustration now and, and I just wanna say a caveat before I share it. If you used our children's ministry, thank you for doing that. Um, we wanna be able to hit illustrations um, to a certain uh, adult level and this is gonna be a pg 13, even scratching on R a little bit, okay? And we have a whole program for our children, meet them where they're at, and the program in here is to meet adults where they're at. So just give you that caveat as we share this. But I I, I really wrestled with sharing it. I thought, you know what? It hits the point exactly. I'm going to share it. There's a gal at my last church before I came to Compass, and uh, I'll never forget the meeting. She came on in. She says, hey, uh, Pastor Dave, uh, I'm 30 years old. I just came to know Jesus four months ago. I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. She goes, and so what I was hoping you could tell me now is now that I know Jesus, tell me how to live this life that's prescribed in the Bible. If you could just do that for me. Like here I am, I know Jesus four months ago, and now I need to figure out how do you live this thing? How do you do this now? Because you guys talk a good game on the stage about how you're supposed to live your life, and I don't quite understand how I can do it. Tell, Tell me more about that. Oh, well, okay, I'll just tell you this. I'm 30 years old. I haven't been celibate for more than four months in my life since I was 18 years old. So from the, for 12 years, from 18 to 30, I've been, um, you know, multiple partners from promiscuity. I, I feel like this area of my life is, I've been able to uh, just freely express and freely enjoy. So sex for more than four months, uh, not, not having sex for more than four months at a time, that's unheard of to me. I told you I came in here. I've been a believer for four months. I haven't had sex in four months. I don't know how I can do this. I don't think I can make it. And so I thought I'd come to you and just ask, how do you do this? So I said, okay, well, I understand that. If you've been living 12 years and you've just been indulging in this and you've never had to bring self-control into your life, I can understand how it would be difficult and how it feels daunting, and and I totally get that. And I love that you're here and you're asking the question and, and you're trying, I love that. You just got to understand the scriptures talk about how when you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and gives you the ability to live a life that you never thought you could live. And so you're going to see him begin to do that. And what I'm going to suggest is we start today and we look at it two years from now and let's evaluate in two years. Uh, Let's not evaluate next month. Let's not evaluate two months. There's going to be a roller coaster ride, but I believe that God can move you and then in two years, you'll see a great difference of what you used to look like. And I share that because I want you to know that this too. And when people come to us and maybe they're, they're deeply entrenched in their sin, we don't just kick them to the curb. We work with them. We, we walk with them. And, and so I said, okay, so you're going to develop self-control along the way. And I give her some parameters on how to do that and, and, and how to get moving on that. And we're going to evaluate in two years. She goes, that's great. But the story gets better. I said, okay, well, why don't you tell me? She goes, well, I told you I haven't had sex in four months. I said, yeah, that's, that's good. I'm glad you, that's a good choice. It's a biblical choice. She goes, well, the man that I was with before that, obviously, you know, uh, we were sleeping together. I said, okay, understood. She goes, and he was married. I go, well, that's still a good choice for you to stop sleeping with him. Even better, you know. And, uh, and, and she said, and here's the thing. He is still pursuing me right now. And I work with him, and he's pursuing me. Notes, phone calls, emails. Um, He's pursuing me, and and I'm trying to fend him off, but now I'm feeling weak. I feel so weak. I feel like I'm gonna give in. What do I do? I said, okay, well, we have some principles in the scriptures that can help you. And I went straight to Matthew uh, 5.30. It says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, plug it out. Um, I would guess, by looking at the room, that nobody in this room takes that literally because we'd have a lot of blind men in the room right now, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm one of them, okay? The, the, the principle there isn't to be literal. When people say, if we just took the Bible literally, if, if he is writing hyperbolically, meaning he's exaggerating to make a point, then we understand it as him exaggerating to make a point, all right? And so that's what he's doing is he's exaggerating to make a point. The point is, do whatever you can to stop the sin that is besetting you. Whatever you can to, to, to when you're strong, uh, make the parameters such that you can, you can stop whatever is going on. Get serious about stopping your sin. Whatever it needs to happen, you got to do that. And so I told her that. So that's, You're going to you're gonna have to, and I, and I just suggest. I, never, I don't make decisions for people. It's not my job. My job is to tell you the Scripture and suggest, and then God does whatever he does in your life, and you guys make your decision, your autonomy. You have autonomy for God. You, you go for it. So you're going to have to really think through, if you want to live this life for God, what decisions do I now need to make? Well, what would that look like? Well, I would start by telling him I'm a Christian now and I don't want to do that. She goes, I've done that. And he's still pursuing me. Okay. Uh, I, well, you know, you might think about changing your job, quitting your job and getting another one. Man, I'd do that in a second if I had another job lined up, but, but, but how am I going to pay the rent? I'm going to be on the street. I said, well, if he does not get the point, you may need to tell his wife. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I want to destroy their family. And, and, and you know, I, I said, I get that. But I'm just telling you the principle is you do go to extreme measures to make sure that you do not let that sin conquer you. I remember the next meeting, which was a difficult day when she came in in tears, um, broken, even almost wailing like she was mourning a death. She said, I I failed, and I succumbed to his advances. And uh, the good thing about it, she was in our office shortly after, repenting and feeling horrible for what she had done. We loved on her. We didn't need to kick her while she was down. Her heart was, you could tell God had conquered her heart, and she messed up. She made a big mistake. So we loved her, and we said, the grace of God is still available to you. God still forgives you. He still loves you. But the truth of the matter is you have some big decisions to make if you want to live this life. The next meeting was quite a funny one because she came in and she was like, all right, I did it. Which I'm thinking, oh, great. She must have found some way to to separate herself. And I'm thinking she changed the job, found another job. And she goes, I told his wife. (laughs) And I was like, really? Really? Tell me about that. I got serious, Pastor Dave, and I made sure that it's not going to be a problem anymore. And she goes, she hates me. I got death threats. But you know what? The advances have stopped. (laughs) And wouldn't you know, she'd never had a problem with that man again. If you saw her today, you would never recognize her. She's married. She's got a kid. And I think of that passage, he will rehabilitate you himself. He'll make you resolute. He'll strengthen you, and he'll firmly ground you. she decided to fight. That lion's not gonna swallow me, I'm gonna fight. And the question for you is, when are you gonna start fighting? When are you gonna join the fight? There's men in this room that need to lock up their phones, lock up their computer, lock up their their cable stations, Apple TV, Hulu, Netflix, they can all be locked. Amazon Prime. You know how I know? I've locked them all up. I don't want access to it. I'm scared of what I'll do in a weak moment when I have access. Why don't you join me and lock it up? You don't know how to do it? Come talk to us. There's a, there's a, there's a brotherhood of men right now who figured all that stuff out. We'll, we'll, we'll introduce you to it. Let's walk together. Let's figure it out. When are you going to start fighting? Get some accountability for that drinking habit. It's about time, right? Yeah? How about the prescription habit? Well, it's not really wrong because it's prescription. No, it's wrong. You know it's wrong. He knows it's wrong. And Satan wants to devour you. Maybe it's time to take drastic measures by maybe quitting your job so you don't end up in an immoral situation that you're being tempted with right now. God has called us to fight. Not just sit there and whine about it, but to Fight. Fight. Oh, you don't understand, man. I can't get past this thing. Fight! ah, man, I'm such a loser. If you just knew my past, fight! If only I was different. Fight! Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Fight! Fight! Fight it. Don't let him devour you, and by the way, you're fighting not because you're trying to please God or or somehow earn something that you got all that in Jesus Christ ready. You're fighting because somebody wants to take you out. He's trying to take you out. He's trying to take me out. Fight, and when you're done fighting, stand firm and plant yourself in your faith. Number four, how do I make it through the storm? By planting myself, running toward God, not away from him, planting myself. Let's look at this. Verse 12, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written this to you briefly, encouraging you, and testifying that this, tr- this grace of God is true. Stand firm in it. She was in Babylon, probably the church in Rome, they're speaking in code because they don't want to uh, get more persecution handed to them. Chosen with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark, Greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you in Christ. The whole thing ends with this. This stuff that I've been writing to you, i dictated it to, 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 to Silas. He wrote it down. Whatever the case, I wrote it to you. It's true. Jesus Christ is true. His resurrection is true. Our faith is true. Stand firm in it. Stand fast in it. Make it solid. Be immovable on your faith. Plant yourself in it. Run towards him. Not away from him. The crap hits the fan in life. Do I run towards God in that situation or am I booking? I'm done. I gave him a shot. Didn't work out for me, so I'm done. Stand firm in it. Plant yourself in it. Wait on him to prove your right, or Wait on him to make things right. Wait on him. What's the big idea? What is the key to surviving the storms we find in life? The key is to be humble, to be guarded. Fight the enemy. And be planted in your faith. I love the story of Joseph. I I refer to it often, maybe because I can find parallels in my own life. Everything that happened to Joseph seemed to happen to him. And it's not like he willfully did something on his own to make it happen to himself. It just happened to him. And so I, I, I gravitate to that story. Maybe you don't know the story. I'll just paraphrase it for you real quick. He's a, he's a young boy. He's getting dreams from, from heaven. God's giving him dreams. And the dreams are kind of crazy. His brothers are going to bow down to him. His parents are going to bow down to him. And he's young, maybe a teenager. and He doesn't know what to do with those dreams. So he starts telling all his family. It's probably a little uh, naive to do that. Sounds kind of arrogant. Maybe he was a little arrogant. So he's walking, hey, guys, you're going to bow to me. And so mom and dad are going to bow to me too. We're older than you. We're not going to bow to you. Yeah, you are. Uh, God told me you're going to bow to me. His brothers are ready to hate him because he got this, this sweet coat that his dad gave him, basically showed that he was his favorite son, even though he's the youngest or one of the youngest. And, and, uh, and they're like, you know what? We're sick of this guy. Let's get rid of him. The nice thing they did is they didn't kill him. And so they sold him into slavery, took his coat, ripped it up, put blood on it, said, wow, oh, a wild beast got to him. And so he ends up going to slavery. Why? Because he had a dream from God. As he's in slavery, his master realizes everything this guy touches turns to gold, and so I've got to put him in charge of more stuff. So he becomes second in charge of the whole house. Of course, the master's wife looks kindly on Joseph and says, you know what, he's a good-looking guy. He's got everything going for him. I want him. I want him sexually. And so she pursues him. Finally, he says, no, I'm not doing that. And he runs. You talk about, you talk about being humble and staying on your guard and fighting back. And he runs away, and she goes to her husband and says, you know what, he tried to force himself on me. And so, because he's done nothing wrong, he now ends up in jail. And he's serving a prison sentence, of being falsely accused, and he's in jail there. And, of course, everything he touches in the jail system turns to gold. And so they, he rises up in the jail system. Finally, gets put in, uh, in, in a cell with this other guy, two guys. The king is mad at them. He says, you're going to jail. He says, you know, well, I, I got a dream. I, I can interpret the dream for you. You're going to die, and you're going to actually make it back to your position. It happens exactly as he says. A guy dies. The guy makes it back to his position. He goes, when you get back to your position, would you remember me? Don't, remember that I'm here. The guy says, sure, I'll do that. And he totally forgets. Two more years in prison. Finally, the king's having dreams. He's like, man, I can't understand these dreams. And the guy goes, oh, wait a second. There's a guy in jail. He can interpret dreams. Have him come interpret your dream. So he comes and he interprets the guy's dream. And he, here's what God is saying. There's going to be seven years of, of, of plenty, of surplus. And there's going to, after that, be a subsequent seven years of famine. And the king goes, man, that's crazy. What should we do? He goes, I'll tell you what you do. In the seven years of plenty, you need, to, you need to round up a whole bunch of food and make sure you have food for the seven years of the family. He goes, you're right. We're going to do that. And you're in charge, second in charge of now the kingdom. And he's been on this roller coaster ride his whole life. And finally, at the very end, I have no family. I've been set sold to slavery. I've been placed in jail for years. Finally, at the very end, the whole world is coming to them to ask for food because the whole world is in famine. And guess who comes to him and kneels at at his feet? His brothers and his parents, exactly as the dream said would happen. And Joseph has the opportunity to throw this in their face. And instead of doing that, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. And he asks this question. Am I in the place of God? You can imagine why they'd be afraid. We're the ones who threw you into slavery. You ended up in jail. All this stuff has happened because of us. And now we need you. We need food. We're going to die. And so we're timid as we come before you. And he goes, oh, no, no. You don't need to be afraid. I understand who God is and who I'm not. God is God. I'm not God. I'm not putting myself in the place of God. God. God knew this roller coaster was going to happen in my life. And he says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, even the saving of many lives. Wow, that's a powerful statement. Unbelievably mature. You guys intended to harm me, but God intended it for this good that's happening right now. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and kindly spoke to them. Instead of complaining about the wasted years, and instead of complaining about why hasn't this worked out for me, all I've done is follow you, God. Why didn't this work out for me? I didn't deserve this. Joseph doesn't go there. Instead, he firmly plants himself in his faith. He says, my God's bigger than me. It's bigger than these circumstances. And I'm not evaluating based on outcomes on this earth. I'll evaluate based on outcomes in heaven. What happens when the crap hits the fan in your life? Do you run towards him or are you out the door? Because if you're out the door, then you didn't have a God. You had a rabbit's foot. You had a good luck charm. And could you be okay with God allowing you to suffer a little bit so that others might not have to? What is the key to surviving the storms we find in life? Stay humble, stay guarded, fight the enemy, and stay planted in your faith. Let's pray. Father, this is always so much fun because I, 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 you know, you're studying this and you don't know who's going to be in the audience. So you don't know who this is for. You don't know what the circumstances are regarding that. Last night, some people came up to me afterwards and and then you go, wow, God, this person hasn't been here in months and and this is the weekend that you make sure they're here to hear this message and this applies in their life. All that stuff. I don't know what you're doing, Lord. i leave that in your hands, your God. I know the principles are true. And they're countercultural sometimes and they hurt sometimes. We don't want to embrace them all the time because they sting, but they're still true. Would you help us, Lord, be humble, be guarded, fight the enemy, and stay planted in our faith, even in dark times. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.cobleschurch.info, and we'll see you next time.